views expressed on this broadcast of Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger do not necessarily reflect those of Take 12 Radio, KHLT Recovery Broadcasting, or our affiliates. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Alan Berger and the Monty Man. Well, greetings, friends and recovery family, all of those of you who have joined us on another fine episode of Step by Step Towards Emotional Sobriety with our friend, Dr. Alan Berger. Welcome, Dr. Berger. Well, thank you, Monty. You are a busy man. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I want want everybody to know that the reason this guy is so busy is because of the tremendous amount of work he does because he cares about you guys. And, uh, you know, there's the uh, the big book of alcoholics or, or, or the literature, some of the literature in, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, for instance, talks about how there's not always people that can dedicate all their time to this cause. But there are a few and Dr. Berger is is one of them. And we're so grateful that he is and so thankful for this show. So, Dr. Berger, what are we going to be talking about on this show? Well, what I wanted to do with this show, Monty, is to talk about emotional sobriety uh, in the steps, and I specifically want to focus on the 12 and 12. Oh, okay, great. I think that, you know, I was uh, currently in Vermont, and I was speaking at uh, New England Professional Group, the recovery conference, and um, I was up there with Fred Holmquist, who's the director of the Lodge at the Dan Anderson Renewal Center at Hazleton. And uh, Fred really said something that really, really helped put this thing in a context to me, and it's a funny story, and I'll, I'll share it with our listeners. Uh, as I'm flying out to the, to um, Vermont, I'm on the plane, and I'm working on my presentation on emotional sobriety. And um, I get there, and Fred's going, you know, Fred speaks from 8 to 9.30, then there's a break, and I come on at 10. And Fred's talking about emotional sobriety and talking about the 12 and 12. And he says, originally, when the big book was written, they were all concerned with getting sober, mm-hmm. with chemical sobriety. They were dealing with alcoholism. They wanted to stay sober. They didn't want to drink again. So the big book is really the template that they that they use to help them establish their initial what he called chemical sobriety, which made total sense to me. And then he coined a phrase that I think is so good, Monty. He says that twelve and twelve came along to address what he called sober suffering. Is that now as people were living sober they were running up against these issues that we've been talking about in our show, this emotional dependency and how it wrecks havoc in our life and in our relationships. And the 12 and 12 was written to deepen and expand what was talked about originally in the big book, but now with more of an eye towards emotional sobriety. Mm. And when Fred said that, it just totally congealed what I had been doing on the plane, because I went back into the 12 and 12 as I was flying out to Vermont, and I was taking passages from the 12 and 12 that related to this whole issue of emotional sobriety. 
So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be talking about what the, some of those passages I pulled out of the book, what they are, and uh, help people see um, how this emotional sobriety is really at the heart of our program. Wonderful. Wonderful. Because so, so many people, we, we know that there's lots and lots of people that never even cracked the big book, let alone the 12, 12 and 12. Uh, so this is yeah. wonderful. No, this is great. In the 12 and 12, just to, to remind our listeners, some of them know this, some may not, it was written 17 years after the big book was written. So this is now based on 17 years of experience of trying to live clean and sober. So here's the first thing I did. I started, and, and I'm going to go back because Fred says there's a lot of good stuff in Steps 1 and 2 about this, too. But the first thing that jumped out at me when I was going through my 12 and 12 was um, this quote from Step 3. It says, the more we become willing to depend on a higher power, the more independent we actually are. Therefore, dependence as AA practices it, is really the means of gaining true independence of spirit. Amen. You betcha. That is a great statement. Isn't that a powerful quote? I mean, you know, let's really unpack it here for a minute. So what they're saying here is that when I connect to a power greater than myself, and, you know, a lot of the way I talk about it to people is connecting with the true self, which I think is a spiritual self, a God self, however you want to talk about it. Yeah, you bet. Is when we connect to that, now I'm able to develop some real autonomy in my life. So the way that I've been thinking about this is that emotional sobriety is really the result of this true independence of the spirit. Because when I'm holding on to myself, when I'm keeping my own shape, I have true independence of my spirit. I am not allowing my spirit to, and the quality of that and the nature of that to be determined by what other people are doing. It's being determined by what I'm doing and my relationship with myself and with my higher power. And, and, and so many people miss that. We dance around that a lot in our 12-step support meetings. Uh, we, we, we're almost afraid to talk about it, and yet that is so key in learning how to be free from the bondage of our false self. So true. So, yeah. so, so now look at this. Listen to this. This is another quote from the step three. It goes, quote, let's examine for a moment this idea of dependence at the level of everyday living. In this area, it is startling to discover how dependent we really are and how unconscious of that dependence we are. Well, this is the thing you and I have been talking about throughout this show, Monty, is that this dependence is really woven into the very fabric of our lives. We are all much more dependent than any of us would care to admit. Sure. And what we start to see is that we didn't want to think of ourselves that way. There's a lot of forces that go into our resistance to look at ourselves and to admit and to own up to our dependence. So, so, so what I'm so hearing... this is how we're unconscious of it. You see, this is what Bill pointed out, is that, this, that until we can start to see that we've had the cart before the horse, that our life isn't really going to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So dependence on a power greater than ourselves 
to restore us to sanity, to quote a famous statement, yeah. uh, is really independence. But That's what we're really talking yeah, about, is yeah. that when we start to, if you will, in what I would call it, uh, you know, we could say it dependence on a power greater than ourselves. What I would say is to allow that part or greater than ourselves to be the center and core of our life. There you go. Let, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Dr. Yeah. Berger. Why are people so afraid to, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about to be truly independent, to truly be free, we have to have strong boundaries. Uh, in this, we, we allow this power to be our core. So to be truly independent means to be dependent in in the purest sense of the word. Why are people so afraid of being accountable, of having boundaries? Why are we so afraid of that? Well, I think that there's a couple there's a couple thoughts that come to my mind in terms of what is it that that makes it hard for us. And I think first of all, I don't think a lot of people feel very worthy of setting mm. boundaries. Okay, and they're afraid that if look if I set my boundaries, you're not going to like me. You're not going to love me. You're not going to accept me. I'm no longer going to be long. And so I think that a lot of what we've done in our life is to somehow deal with our fear of being rejected. You know, Brene Brown, who's very very popular right now, and deservedly show so because she talks about this issue of vulnerability. And vulnerability involves a risk, and the risk that it involves is getting rejected. Right. Well, the pain is not over the rejection that we're going to get from someone else. Yeah, that's going to hurt, and it's going to cause us some necessary grief. But the bigger part is, is when someone else rejects us, it just reminds us of how we've rejected ourselves. So what happens is there's two against nobody. They project, wow. we reject ourselves, we turn on ourselves, we abandon ourselves, and now we are left in quite a pickle. So we believe the lie. We believe the lie. If somebody yeah. says, well, I just don't think you measure up, we believe it. Exactly. See, yeah. we, we let their limited perception define who we are. And see, that's the problem with this emotional dependency, mm -hmm. is when I'm dependent on you, now you have all the power to determine how I feel about myself, the more I hold on to my own shape, the less power you have to change my feelings towards myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, but we, we, we say all the time, well, I don't care what other people think about me, and you know what? When I hear people say that, I don't, yeah, it's, it's, I don't believe it's it. It's dishonest, man. Yeah. It's just not, we're not being... So what we can learn from this passage I just read is that for the most part, our emotional dependency is unconscious. It operates outside of our awareness. But yet it is living us. This force, this is what Freud used to say. This is what Freud said. He's quoted as saying, we are being lived by the forces within ourselves. This emotional dependency is controlling so much of what's happening in our life. And if we're going to really mature and grow up, we've got to now start to face this. So in... Being able to be aware of this unconscious dependency, is, is that involved the steps? Yeah, it sure does. Well, that's what we're saying here. And step yeah. three is when we're making this decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand them, right? Yeah. When we're 
taking when we're what I call this step is about making a commitment to a new way of life, making a commitment to live our life based on now a true self instead of the false self. So let's say that that we're going to take this idea that our true self is a spiritual self, and it's really the portal to connect us to a higher power. If I am not in touch with and honoring my true self, I'm disconnected. When I go to my false self, I'm disconnected from the spirit, right? Right. When I'm my true self, I'm allowing the spirit to move my life. Yeah, right Right on. So that's how I understand it from my psychological... You know, perception. It, it and, makes sense. And from the way I think that Scott Peck talked about it, too, in The Road Less Traveled. And, and so when we that do God this... talks to us through our unconscious, I mean... When we do what you're talking about here, um, then that enables us with power to go to step four. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Well, let me read another quote from step three. So yes. We see how it builds on understanding this this resistance to look at it. it says we realize this is a quote now from step three we realize that the word dependence is as distasteful to many psychiatrists and psychologists <laughs> as it is to alcoholics like our professional friends we too are aware that there are wrong forms of dependence hmm. so what are we talking about what are these wrong forms of dependence well obviously our dependence on alcohol and other drugs created a heck of a problem in our life right but also our dependence on other people for our validation. Yeah. Our dependence on other people to make us feel okay. Our dependence on other people to go along with what we want from them so that that somehow validates our worth. So here we start to see that, my God, in step three we're already talking about a healthier way to be in the world, a way to be in the world where we maintain our balance and mm-hmm. our humility. Mm-hmm. It's so what I say is that being emotionally dependent is shameful and therefore disowned. See, no one in our society really wants to admit how dependent they are. That's right. Because our society is very individualistic, right? Yeah. It's, you're, you're, you know, you're supposed to be independent. You're supposed to take care of yourself. It's all these things, and anywhere that dependency shows up, you know, we're going to feel bad about ourselves. So we're going to be feel shameful, and therefore we're going to go ahead and disown it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yet, and yet, everything about our our society today, from the media to the songs we hear to to the the movies we watch, uh, to the things we read, all scream in an underlying tone. You know, I want you to be dependent on me. You know, and, and so well, that's uh, that's uh, the problem now. Now yeah. you're coming to another thing, Monty, that I think brings up a really good point: is our society has turned based love on dependence, and this is a terrible, terrible thing that's happened. Because in our society, if you listen to all these songs, they are based on so much emotional dependency. Oh. I can't live without you. You've made my life. Um, you know, all these things that says, I am nothing without you. Yeah. And what we know that mature love does not replace who we are. It's integrity, our union with the preservation of integrity. It's coming together without losing yourself. And all these songs we hear on the radio are about losing yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah. Say that. Say that again. You said it before. Union with the preservation of integrity. Union of with the integrity. So this emotional yeah. dependency has to be dealt with. This is what Dr. Jerry Greenwald said. He goes, it is not possible for me to relate to others intimately and allow and enjoy their full expression of themselves if I have not discovered how to do this for myself. That's right. Yeah. I cannot yeah. have a full expression of myself and enjoy myself if I'm worried, over-worried about you and how you're going to react to me. Then I'm going to censor myself. I just did a session tonight where this um, very, very um, sincere and um, vulnerable woman has been in this relationship with this guy for, I think it's going on five years now, and she loves him very much. I mean, she's very, very committed to this relationship. They both started it out, or the relationship started out with them being madly in love, he was just coming out of a very, very ugly divorce, and it, you know, he was saying all, you know, saying, "I just want to spend my life with you. You're the love of my life. I can't wait till we move in together." And then, through a series of different experiences that he had, he started to realize, you know, I kind of like living with my kids and not having to deal with someone else. So he kind of cooled his jets on the relationship. Well, she's hung in there because she's really crazy about the guy. Mm -hmm. But what she keeps hoping, her emotional dependency is, I hope you're going to take care of me because I feel bad. Now, after five years, he still hasn't um, owned up to the fact that he's with her and and really made that a public statement with his kids, with his ex-wife, with, you know. Really? Wow. Yeah. So now, so she's now coming to therapy, and she's getting a little healthier, and she's saying, you know, I just don't like living this way. I, I feel bad. I feel like I'm a mistress, and I feel I'm more worthy of that than this. So I, you know, she says that to him, and she's waiting for him to respond. And I said, you know, you're sitting there waiting for him to listen to you on this, aren't you? She goes, yeah, I, I want him to do something about it. I said, well, maybe that will happen once you listen to yourself. Goes, what do you mean? I go, he's not listening to you because you're not listening to yourself. How am I not listening to myself? Well, if that's important to you and it's not happening, then you don't see him. Exactly. You know, you know what? You don't I, I, keep telling him to do something about it when you're right, not doing right. something about it. You know, one of the things my wife and I sit down and we like to watch shows, and I won't name which ones, but we like to watch shows where couples are being interviewed and there's stuff going on. And Marsha's always saying to me, she goes, why are you staying with that guy? Or why are you staying with the guy? What are you doing? You're, you're not even married. You're, you're, you're playing house. You, you, there's no commitment at all. And you're wondering why, and you've been doing it for years. Why are you staying there? And I think one of the answers to that is, is what you've talked about so much. We become almost hopeful that our emotional dependency will blossom into something that's of truth, and it can't. Right. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. It's, we're hopeful that our emotional dependency will blossom into something that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's emotional dependency on somebody else's behavior to be okay with myself, it will never right. come true. Yep. Oh, my gosh. People are in trouble, Dr. Berger. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no question about that. 
There's no question about that. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, what are we going to what are we going to tackle here? Well, we're going to we're going to look at how this plays out in step 4 a little bit. Okay. And uh and then we'll uh We'll wrap up tonight's show, and we'll pick up step five and six in the next show. All right, folks, don't go away. More with Dr. Allen Berger, step-by-step towards emotional sobriety when we return. Hey, check it out. You can now access all of our shows from a variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, Podomatic, and Player FM. Simply search for Take 12 Recovery Radio, and you'll be tuned into the best in recovery broadcast journalism. Also available at Take12Radio.com. Hi there, everybody. This is the Monty Man, and I sincerely hope that you have been enjoying and getting a lot out of these incredible workshops brought to you by Dr. Alan Berger and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. If you've missed any of these episodes, we have a dedicated webpage set up just for you so you can download, listen to, and share each and every one of these workshops. Simply visit us at Take12Radio.com, scroll down, click on the Recovery Workshops banner, and then click on Step-by-Step Toward Emotional Sobriety. And there you will find each and every episode. We will be adding an episode every Thursday until the entire series is complete. Remember, Take12Radio.com, Scroll down to the Recovery Workshops link and click on Step-by-Step Towards Emotional Sobriety. All right, now back to our discussion with Dr. Alan Berger on emotional sobriety and the steps. Okay, and we return, and of course, Dr. Alan Berger is on the line with us uh, for this episode of Step-by-Step Towards Emotional Sobriety, and we've been talking about emotional sobriety and the steps, and we just finished up talking about Step 3 and now we're going to look at step four and how uh, this all works together. Yeah, so what we're doing is we're really building on this whole idea of understanding um, the steps and how they relate to this emotional sobriety issue. So here's the purpose of step four. Step four is our rigorous and painstaking effort to discover what these liabilities in each of us have been. We want to find out when and where our natural desires have warped us. Mm. We wish to look squarely at the unhappiness that this has caused others and ourselves. So this is a real call to action, right, to take an emotional inventory. Now, how what we're doing here is when we talk about how our natural desires have warped us, what we're looking at is that it's okay to want to please someone and cooperate with them. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that when that's balanced with your individuality. But what happened to us is we got lopsided. Other people became too important. We didn't know how to keep ourselves at the same level of importance that we were making other people. So we ended up taking all kinds of psychological maneuvers to try to balance that again, and none of them worked. That's the bottom line. That's why we all have so much difficulty. So our natural desire to cooperate, to please another person, Mm -hmm. which is a healthy thing, if it's in balance, ends up warping us when we become dependent on the other person for our validation, for our self-esteem. 
So that, so that's that's so, that's part of this this misdirected instinct stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So let's go back to the other part. It says nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. Right. It's just what you said. When that happens, our great natural assets, the instincts have, the instincts have turned into physical and mental liabilities. Yes. So what happens is, is the instinct, let's say, for self-survival, mm-hmm. now because we've overemphasized our desire to please and cooperate, and we now are emotionally dependent, our survival feels like it depends on getting that other person's validation. Right, right, which you may never get. Which which you may or may not. If you do get it, the problem is it reinforces the idea you need it. Uh, and if, yeah. if you don't get it, you're probably better off because then it gives you an opportunity to start growing up and standing on your own two feet. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's almost like chasing, chasing a bag of dope. Yeah. You get it. So, you get the validation once, and then you keep chasing after it. And, and that's many of us are validation junkies in the program. Oh, that's a and good we're one. We're looking validation. for someone else to to validate us so that we can feel good about ourselves. So we pitch with an ear on how great did I sound? So we get people to come up and say, "Man, you really, really got this program, don't you?" <laughs> you know, it's stuff like that. Look, I'm guilty of it too, man. Each of us are. We love that. But, but you know what? I, what I want people to know is that each and every person struggles with balancing togetherness sure. and individuality in our lives. I mean, that is a struggle for everyone, and we usually fall out of one side of that better than the other. We either become people pleasers, or we become so self-centered that we act like we don't care about anybody else. And the real goal of emotional sobriety, emotional recovery, is to somehow stay in the middle of that bed so that we are balancing our desire to please and cooperate with our desire to honor ourselves and our individuality. When we do that, money, we become truly sincere with ourselves. Mm. When we can honor both sides of who we are and balance those two things, that's the definition of being sincere with yourself. Let me let me ask you a question that has been posed to me uh, about some of the things that we've discussed on this show. Uh, and, and, and this is a perfect uh, segue into this question. And I have my opinion about this. I want to see what yours is. I was asked by three separate listeners, and they all asked it in a different way, but they were all saying the same thing. These things that we do to help us unhook from emotional dependency on other people uh, so we – you know, that we do to be okay with ourselves, mm-hmm. is is this something that we are going to have to learn to participate in for the rest of our lives? So let me see if I understand this question. So they're asking, is this something I'm going to have to work on the rest of my life? Yeah. Yeah, and the answer to that is yes. See, that's why this is an ongoing effort, right? Right. I mean, we don't ever get on top of this. We we can, what do we say? We strive for spiritual progress, not spiritual, spiritual perfection. perfection. Sure. Well, the same thing is true here. Yeah. We strive for emotional maturity, not emotional perfection. We're never going to get that way where we're totally on top of this and can stay right. balanced all the time, and we're never going to get upset. The issue becomes not... Are we going to get upset? But how do we deal with it when we are? Mm-hmm. How do we cope with these things when that does happen? So that's the big issue for me, 
is in terms of being able to deal with the feelings that I have that come up in a way that gets me back to being balanced. And, and I agree uh, because uh, because of our 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 human structure, because we are imperfect, and because we're always growing. Uh, hopefully, if we're in recovery, that's it's an ongoing process. It's like uh, you know, it's like we have to die to ourselves daily, our false self. We we have to renew daily because when I you know I may go to bed tonight and just be on top of the world and man I'm gonna I can stand on my own two feet I've had a great day and I know how to be uh, properly dependent uh, on a power greater than myself recognize who I truly am so uh, I can be truly independent in a healthy way right. and then wake up in the morning right. and before I look myself in the mirror I'm already thinking things that are not healthy. Yeah, yep, there you go. And so I, I have to practice this on a daily basis. And I don't know about you, Dr. Berger, but when I uh, when I get, you know, what they, what they call it, resting on your laurels, uh, when I, you know, kind of back up from my vigilance, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm kind of setting myself up for, for some pretty emotional, uh, uh, you know, tragic Days. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hear you, man. Yeah, that's that's that challenge we all have to stay balanced, isn't it? It is. You know, how how do I do that? How do I, you know, keep my center of gravity within myself? Mm-hmm. I keep talking about that over and over again. Is that the thing we want to do? Is we want to keep our center of gravity within and not give it away to other people. Because as soon as I put my center of gravity in you, now you control my life. Yeah, I'm not. I've lost control. Yeah, and, and you know, I want to encourage those who are listening that that are that are like, oh man, I've got to work on this every day. Well, listen, there are certain things we do every day that we've gotten used to that are part of our lives. We get up in the yeah. morning. There's a certain ritual we go through. We brush our teeth. We comb our hair. Well, you and I don't comb our hair. Uh, but, but, you know, we do certain things. We prepare for our day. We we have structure. We, we you know, at 2.45, I know I have to, to at 2.30, I need to get ready to go pick up my son from high school. I mean, things that we make a part of our lives because they are so important. Why not take these wonderful tools? And do the same thing with them and make them a regular part of our everyday living. I like it, man. Yeah, right on. Right on, buddy. All right. Ah, good. Another another great show. So so next show, we're going to be going even further into the steps. Working through the steps here. Let me just say one more thing before we wrap here so I can make just – well, you know what? Let's do this. Let's pick up step four again because there's a few more things I want to say about step four. Because it's so rich, because this is where we start to, to do that emotional inventory and start to get honest with ourselves and take a look at how we're actually reacting. So let's pick up step four again, Monty, when we uh, come to the show again. Okay, sounds great. So until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man along with Dr. Alan Berger. We're wishing serenity for you. Bye-bye. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.